Welcome to The Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. One of the most horrific and, and sometimes actually scary things is to hear about teenagers who cut themselves. Rosalind Malmud is a psychologist who has dealt with this in many ways over many years. Dr. Malmud, thank you so much for being with us. Well, you're very welcome. Why do people cut themselves? Well, before we begin with that, could I just define that when we use the term cutting, we're talking about any form of moderate or superficial self-mutilation. Okay. So when you say cutting, I also include with that burning, self-hitting, hair pulling, and bone breaking. What I'm not including with this is more serious forms like amputations, pulling out one's teeth, other kinds of it more It can get drastic. that severe that people actually pull their own teeth out? Yes, it, it does. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm here to listen. Mm -hmm. Tell me about it, please. Well, that's what I'm saying. We use the term cutting, but I'm including these other behaviors. It's not unusual to see a teenager with burn marks on their skin, and I include that under the, the same psychological parameters. Okay. How common is this? How serious a problem is this? Well, I think it's getting more and more serious. When I started with cutters maybe 20 years ago, at that point, there was something very private about it. People would choose places to cut or burn, you know, the, the other forms, and it would often be in their upper arms or around their thighs, and they would disguise it. They would wear long sleeve shirts all the time or pants. They would be very, you wouldn't find them in a bathing suit. Recently, in middle schools, it's almost becoming part of a culture. So now what you're seeing are cuts around the wrist. And people are doing it in a way that they draw attention to it. They might put on five or six bracelets along with their cut marks. It's increasing because it's now part of your peer group. If your friend does this, you are going to be very prone to follow suit. And it almost becomes part of the crowd. They're not able to verbalize their strong emotions. So what they're finding is because of that difficulty, they're expressing this through injuring themselves. Is it more common in boys or girls? And if there is a difference, why is there the difference? Four times as many girls. Because we have a lot of perfectionism and a lot of body dysmorphia. They don't like their body selves. Unfortunately, when the boys try it, there's a little more of a suicidal aspect to this. Okay. Is there any way to predict if this is going to happen? Do we have any sense of a child going in the direction where they're going to end up cutting themselves? Unfortunately, so many of the same issues that apply to any child that gets either very depressed or starts acting out is coming from a childhood where either there might have been sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, one or the other parent might be alcoholic. There could be abandonment issues with a parent. You could have a death of a parent or someone very close to them. There can be social isolation, a lot of pressure from the peer group. So it's the same profile that would lead the typical middle schooler or high schooler to get depressed or, or socially isolated to do poorly in school. But for some people, they will move into the cutting themselves. It's almost a way of they, for example, they might have been physically abused. Okay. And then this is the way that they then abuse themselves. So they become not only the victim, but they also become the abuser. Interesting. They mm -hmm. become both. Right. They have that control. Is it a matter of expressing themselves and controlling their environment at the same time? Right. There's two patterns that I've observed. One is there's true control. 
people will start out maybe randomly using a fingernail just to squeeze their hand and they might draw blood, but they will move on from hands to very selective razor blades and kits. And they will begin to do cuts that are almost equal distance, a quarter of an inch, and you will literally see a grid going down to their knees. That's one kind. It's a very controlled sense of cutting. They are doing this until they draw blood. From the moment they draw blood, there's a release of tension. All of those emotions that have been swelling inside of them finally get some expression. I think from those of us who really don't see this much, we're stuck in the notion that it's got to hurt. People look at this and go, how can you impose this much pain to yourself? And if you're feeling so much tension inside of you that you feel like you're ready to burst and you by accident find this as a solution. As I'm saying, a girl might have long fingernails and she's squeezing her wrist or squeezing her arm and all of a sudden she draws blood. All of her attention gets focused on what she's done and drawing blood. So not only then does she feel that relief because now she has pain, but then she can start to be the mother to herself. She will wash off that wound. She will put on different ointments. She'll put bandages on it. She'll check the wound fairly consistently to see how it's healing. An interesting thing you just said, that she will become the mother to herself. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Can you explain that a bit more? Well, that's the victim and the abuser. So there's a great deal of attention to seeing how the wound is healing. Now, as I'm saying this, I first gave you the example of the controlled cutter. Right. As I'm I'm saying, they begin accidentally but it very quickly moves into a pattern. So when they're feeling stressed or they have to do something that they're scared to do or they don't want to do, then by cutting, they give themselves the release. There's another pattern where people get so upset that they take any object around, a razor blade, a broken glass, and they just cut wildly. And that's very frightening because that's when they can hit an artery. They're not intending to commit suicide, they're just slashing it themselves. You rarely see a crossover between the control cutters and the impulsive cutters. I saw this once with a girl that had over a thousand cuts up and down her thighs and her arms. That's amazing. And one time she lost control and she took a knife and carved on her legs, you fat pig. It's amazing. Again, to those of us who don't see cutting on a regular basis, it's all... I don't even know what words to use for it. It's so unreal, surreal, perhaps, that people are going to hurt themselves. And also, it's the fact that it leaves a trail. I mean, there's going to be an arm full of slash marks. It doesn't go away. No, it doesn't. So are they aware of the fact that this is a permanent mark? It's a permanent scar? But at that moment, when they're in such despair, all they can think about is how to release this. It's like letting the air out of a balloon. Okay. So then what what can we do to prevent cutting from happening? And if a parent suspects the child is cutting, how does a parent intervene? First off, you would hope that the parent be sensitive, that the child has been isolating, acting tense, not sleeping, perhaps showing signs of an eating disorder, a depression. Their grades might be slipping. They're isolating from friends. You would hope that there would be where one of the parents or somebody close in their life would try to offer an opportunity for the young person to share the kind of feelings and the despair that they're going through. So it matches a lot of the symptoms of a depression. 
Right. And it also can lead to an eating disorder. For some people, it comes out as an eating disorder. Some it comes out as cunning. Some what you see is the depression. It's all, it's all the same ideology is there. What's the best treatment then? Is it to, for medications or for, or we'll go on. You... Well, I was just going to say, in The Silent Cry, a book by Joan Escherich, she has some numbers that I thought might be interesting. Okay, let's listen, let's listen. She talks about the eight motives. Okay. 73% say, I wanted to get relief from a terrible state of mind. 53%, I wanted to die. 46%, I wanted to punish myself. 41%, I wanted to show how desperate I was feeling. I mean, obviously, people have more than one motive, or we'd right. be over 100% by now. 31%, I wanted to find out whether someone really loved me. 24%, I wanted to get some attention. Okay, so that's the new one I was talking about, where people cut around their wrist and purposely put on jewelry and literally have their arms resting on the table, whether it's a dinner table or the school desk, almost looking for someone to notice. 21%, I wanted to frighten someone. And 14%, I wanted to get my own back on someone. What we don't find is that the boys don't show the last two. They tend not to be doing it to frighten someone else. So a girl is more likely to do this to upset someone else, if I understand you correctly, or did I not correctly no, no. understand I'm you? I'm saying of these eight motives, okay. the first six apply to both the girls and the boys. Okay. It's only the last two to frighten someone that seems to just okay. apply to the girls, and those are much smaller percentages. The major, major part is this is to get relief from that despair because they can't talk about their emotions. So the therapy then, it would seem, would be some very intensive verbal psychotherapy. Exactly. If you have the kind of parent that's sensitive enough to the child. But here, what are we talking about in terms of the family background? You can have an abusive parent, a parent that's left the home. You can have a parent that's alcoholic. So oftentimes, these aren't the kind of parents that have set a pattern where their child is likely to come to them and talk and share their daily events of their lives, or the ups and downs of what goes on in their teenage years. So they're left alone, and they don't know what to do with these feelings and these emotions. So they're just looking for some kind of relief. Do we see this also going into adulthood? Oh, yes. Now more and more. And does it, shall we say, does it extinguish after a certain age? Do you tend not to see it after people, oh, I don't know, are 40 or 50 years old? Do we have any data to suggest that? With the permission of someone that I actually asked if I could mention this, she was a cutter. She's now in her 50s. Her daughter started cutting about age 11 or 12. This woman is convinced the daughter never saw her cut. But how did the daughter pick up the same behaviors? My comment to the mother is, I can see your scars. It's very possible that unaware to you, your daughter did observe that this is what you did when you felt so stressed. What would be the difference, if you can make a difference, between this and a suicide attempt? The severity. As I'm saying, all the cases that were referred to me that came through the hospital, like the girl that slashed herself, she didn't mean to hit an artery. She just went too deep at the wrong spot. I've never seen someone do this with the intent to actually die. Interesting. 
I showed you a couple of months ago, and it's it's one of the reasons that I'm asking you about cutting a photograph of a of the arms of a young lady who she had cut herself many many times on the arms, and I was struck by how quickly you were to point out to me that the slash marks were chaotic and not orderly. Mm-hmm. I, I I found that fascinating. You you looked at that, and it almost gave you a piece of diagnostic assistance. Oh, absolutely. How so? I began by saying I see two major types. Right. You know, and one is the very orderly, let me get control. I know exactly how deep to go. I go until I see blood and then I stop and I care nicely and neatly for my wounds, bandages, ointments, etc. And there's the other where when they get upset, it's just like slash, 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 and they're not thinking it's impulsive and they really can do some more harm to themselves. Does the cutting or any sort of self-mutilation, you, you listed a number of them at the beginning, do they release the tension for a reasonable period of time? Does it seem to work for a week, a day, a month, and then it takes away the tension for a while? Or can it occur daily or weekly for a long period of time? I don't usually see it occurring daily. It can go for like every couple of weeks. And sometimes people will literally try not to. And even in therapy, we'll mark the calendar, but then something happens, they can't express it, they're so upset, they go into their rooms, and they cut again. And so therapy for this, obviously, is simply not talking to the patient themselves, but clearly the family has to be involved at one level or the other in this. If you can, but as I'm saying, so many times the families, the parents are divorcing, they're fighting, they're bitter, they're so caught up in their own business that this is the child that tends to get ignored. And I would assume, therefore, that this is not an easy therapy. This is a prolonged therapy. It's an intense therapy. It's a complex therapy. It can't be done in just a few visits. No. As some people come in through um, hospitalization, they come into the emergency room because they're bleeding profusely. Then they go into inpatient and then off into residential. Other times they come in because they have some other dual diagnosis like an eating disorder. So they're anorexic, they've lost 20% of their body weight, and then it's very obvious when you're doing the exam that they've also been cutting. What's also interesting to me, and I know that it's very prominent amongst uh, teenagers in particular, but other people as well, other age groups as well, is the whole notion of self-image. I guess perhaps I'm stuck on the notion that they are doing something that's leaving a permanent scar. And so if they get better two, three, four, five years later and they meet a good spouse, all of a sudden the person's going to look at the arms and say, oh, my goodness, what happened? And apparently that's not an issue when they're cutting themselves. They don't think about the future. That's one of the hidden dangers of self-injury. Other ones are infection. Yes, of course. Escalating injuries. Okay. Misjudging the severity of an injury. Okay. Permanent injury. Sure. Like pulling out the teeth or doing some other things yeah. like Pulling out the teeth is sounds, again, to the layman, it sounds so incredible that someone would pull out their own teeth. And yet, obviously, you've seen cases where people have done it or cut themselves in their gums and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Well, you have seen people that play with their hair and pull out their hair. You've sure. seen people that have pulled out their eyelashes. There are things that people do that just don't grow back. You have long-term health effects. You can have the unintended suicide. You can even get bone diseases. You could get HIV from some of this. Sure, because you're opening up the, the body to blood and the transfer of fluid. And then what starts out that gives you the control, you can end up feeling like you've lost control. 
So at the moment you're cutting, you feel better. Then you wake up in the morning and you see the damage that you've done. And then you feel even more out of control. Okay, so let's be very specific now. Let's say that you are someone who is in so much stress that you're starting to feel that the only way that the tension can be relieved is by some form of self-mutilation. What, what do you do? Where do you go? How do you ask for help? Most of the time what I've seen is either they cut themselves too much and they get into medical, into somebody's medical's hands. Okay. Occasionally they let a friend know. They might not come out and say to a friend what they did, but they will be showing their their scars. So it's after the fact. I mean, it's, it's always it's after really, the fact. Most of the time, you it's know, after you'll the fact. have okay. someone that will start picking at the scar, and they'll sit there in class and just keep picking and picking until people start to notice what's going on. Then they look okay. at that one, and the next thing they know, they're seeing five or six at different levels of redness and pinkness. So let's say then that it's an after-the-fact event, but what can a parent do? What can a friend do? A friend is easier because the friend will talk to the teacher or go into the guidance counselors at school. Amazing. This is such a, a difficult thing for people to visualize if they don't live it, but apparently it's far more common than people are aware. I'm thinking of someone now that was cutting for several years, and then she wrote a story for class. That was the first time the parents were aware that she had even been doing this. Is therapy helpful in both intervention, preventing, undoing the problems here? What therapy is doing is offering this young person a chance to identify their emotions, to express their feelings, to be heard, to be listened to. This is what is making them so desperate. Very interesting, and it's a topic that has a certain chilling factor to it because visually it's 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 frightening. It's frightening to think about someone hurting themselves. Dr. Rosalind Malmet is a clinical psychologist who has worked with people who have cut themselves and self-mutilated and all the sorts of things that she's spoken about here. We thank you so much for being with us. I think in the future we should get back together and perhaps discuss some of these issues in greater detail. Clearly, if someone is feeling that frustrated or that tense and is perhaps pondering the notion of releasing their tension this way, then they should try to find a psychologist or a psychiatrist immediately to begin the process to prevent themselves from getting into problems in the long run. Thank you very much for being oh, with us. Oh, you're very welcome.